person with your dad. Um, and I wish that, that we, uh, we, I was in person with you now, but thankfully I know that he and Jesse are, are here. Like, like he used to say, when people die, they just go into the next room. Mm -hmm. And I know that you mentioned that in this incredible book called, uh, the knowing that you all released 11 lessons to understand the quiet urges of your soul. It is so fantastic that are, are timeless and also relate to all of us because we're all human beings and we all have a want and need to love and be loved, yet we all suffer. And, uh, and so I, I urge everybody to pick up a copy of The Knowing. It is so incredible. I, I met your dad, you know, when, uh, you, do you know that the Javits Center event was supposed to be in October, 2011. That's when it was scheduled, but it was supposed to be in October. It was rescheduled to February. And that was two months after Jesse's murder. So it was February, 2013. And Nick came to my house and said, Hey, I'm going to, he saw all your dad's books everywhere. And he's <laughs> like, I'm going to, I'm going to see him and I'm speaking with him. Do you want to come with me? I was like, Oh my God. Yes. Uh, <laughs> this was two months after Jesse's murder. And so he introduced me. And when I walked up the steps, he's got his hands out like this. He just has his hands out like this. And I walk up the steps. We just hug. We didn't say anything. We just hug. And then he said, he whispers in my ear, can you feel him? That was the first thing he ever said to me. And I said, yeah, I feel him all around me all the time. And he said, well, I would love for you to come up and share his story. And I said, I would love to. So that happens to be the trailer for the book. And Nick somehow got pictures off my phone. So it looked like it was all planned, but it really wasn't. And, uh, <laughs> and then afterwards he said, this has to be told. And um, if you write the book, I'll write the foreword. And of course, when your dad says, I will write the foreword, <laughs> you're like, oh my God, I can't believe it. It was um, so amazing. Even though I, I was still deep in grief and mourning, it's like, wow, this is, Thank you, Jesse. This is incredible that you're setting all this up. Um, I have to tell you, I was oh, there in ahead. the audience in New York and um, it was, you are incredible. I mean, the fact that it was just two months later, I didn't even realize that now looking back, but you were so inspiring and um, just the way that you can help other people in your darkest time. I mean, such an inspiration. It was so, I remember you, you stayed in my dad's hotel room because we went, Serena and I went with him to Dubai from there and he had the hotel room one more night. And I remember you coming up to the hotel room and him saying, just sleep here. I'm not, I don't need it tonight. We're, we're heading out to the airport. And oh, that's just... so funny. I can't <laughs> believe you remember that. And I remember I was with Dr. Lori Layden who had been working in Sandy Hook. And so we're looking at this, this king size bed with 
dirty sheets, right? Because right. the bed wasn't made. And she goes, oh my God, I'm calling housekeeping to clean the sheets. And I'm like, no, you're not. I'm gonna, which side did he sleep on? Because I'm going to be sleeping on his side. You can go on the other side. Uh, Whichever you? side smelled yeah. like vitamins and newspapers was the side he slept on. I can tell you as his daughters, we would have been sleeping on the opposite side. <laughs> oh, that's really funny. I well, wanted to soak up the energy, you know? Right. Right. Well, I actually, so the, the, um, the first time I read your book was you had sent my dad your first copy, your manuscript, essentially. And it was not in a bound book form. It was like in a stapled almost. I don't know exactly what it was, like three ring binded or something form. And he said to me, and I did not understand at the time why, but he said to me, I want you to take this and I want you to read this and I want you to start it today. And I said, okay. And I started reading it and I finished your book, the entire thing in that day. I could not put it down. I, I mean, literally it came with me to the bathroom, to the pool. And I didn't know that I would eventually um, be in a position as, as we were saying before we started recording where I would lose my stepson and my husband would lose his only son that he had raised his entire life as a single parent. Your book was the number one thing I reflected on in the period immediately after losing my stepson, Mason, um, down to the washing of the feet that the woman did when she came to your home. And that always stuck with me because I, I was a religion major and I, um, I loved Mary Magdalene and I loved the story of her washing Jesus's feet with her hair. And so when I read that in your book, I just thought, my God, there is divinity in that action. Yes. And I did that for my husband after um, his son, our son, my stepson passed away. And your book, I, I mean, I swear to God, it's the reason why, because then my husband read it, my friend, I have a very good friend, Stephanie, whose son was murdered um, uh, in February of this year um, as a uh, six-month-old. Mm. Um, there's a trial going on right now with the daycare owner caught on camera abusing the children. Oh but I told her about your book and about how you did not accept the idea that you had to suffer that doesn't mean you didn't, you know, you weren't going to miss him. You weren't going to long for him, but you didn't accept, I, I'm, I'm putting words in your mouth, but there was this part <laughs> of your book, you can explain it better than I can, where somebody said to you, you'll suffer for the rest of your life. And you said, you don't know that, right? I said, stop, because I was thinking, oh my God, if I'm going to suffer, if I'm going to be like this for the rest of my life, I'm going to die. No, that may be your journey. That's not mine. And, and, you know, while you're saying all of this, Serena, I'm thinking I have a traditional Christian faith, but I got, I got a lot of this too, from your dad and, and his wisdom and all of the books that I read and all of the, the, the information and resources that he sent out. I mean, you know, this is stuff that I knew it's skills and tools that I had because I'd learned them going into this. Thankfully, Jesse's message is choosing love. And I remember uh, something, a similar thing that 
hearing my dad tell this story at a lot of his talks and it helped me a lot in the early days is um, the idea of choosing sooner. And it's kind of what you guys are talking about. It's a story of, a, um, I'll just tell it quickly, a man whose son goes off to war and the, the father gets a knock on his door, the knock that nobody wants to get. And he's told that his son had died in war. And that night he goes out into the town and he goes dancing, he goes to a party and he's celebrating and dancing. And this woman, a neighbor comes up to him because she heard what had happened. It was a small town. Everybody knew what had happened. And she said, I don't understand. How could you be dancing? You just learned that your son died. And he said, um, sooner or later, I'm going to have to move on from this and heal from this, or it's going to kill me. Mm-hmm. And I'm just choosing sooner. <sighs> and after my dad died, I retold myself that story day in and day out because I just felt like I was there was a part of me that felt like I had to be stuck for a certain amount of time you know my 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 semester I was in grad school and school was about to start and I was like should I go back to school or is it is it going to be weird when people learn that my dad just died a few days ago you know really Um, and I just kept telling myself I can choose sooner I can choose sooner and I think it can apply to anything not just when somebody dies but any kind of heartbreak or situation or feeling that you don't like just remind yourself you can always choose sooner and for me it wasn't choosing to not be grieving anymore and then to never grieve again it was just because I did look back and it's still a cycle I mean it's been six years and there's still pain at times and there's joy most of the time but it's more just a, it was for me, it was permission to feel good, even in those early days of grief. And it made all the difference for me. Yeah, that's so, so powerful. I love that story. Yeah. And just what I was going to say before, um, that I just, I've always wondered this and I've always kind of, I know this is your interview with us, but I guess I'm asking you a question <laughs> um, because I've always wondered this. Um there was that part in your book where before you got to the school on the day of, of the murder, the, um, you had text back to one of your friends and you had said, Jesse died. Is that accurate? Am I retelling that correctly? You had announced it before you knew it. Well, actually it was while I was waiting for see we we were told um oh they're just they're just hiding we're 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 gonna be finding them and i thought oh yeah of course because jesse's probably taking a small contingent of kids and they're hiding um so we absolutely were not given the idea that there was anything wrong and uh my cell phone was running out and then it had died for a long time so we didn't really have any outside news i feel like the like everybody the news was reporting that there were deaths before they had announced it to the parents. And that's true. And of course, you're still thinking, oh, they're going to find, they're going to find my child, you know, and it was hours and hours and hours while they identified the bodies. But I, I didn't know that was happening. And of course, nothing like that ever happens to, to, to me, you know, I just, I never in a million years thought that I would, that he would be dead. And I guess I had texted one of my friends before my phone died, but I was at the firehouse waiting. Jesse's with Jesus. And, uh, and so I guess on some spiritual level, I realized, but I absolutely, 
it was not in a in you know in my prefrontal cortex at all because I I invited JT to wait and he was in lockdown in a nearby middle school and I thought uh, my thinking was oh well he'll just come and Jesse will want his big brother he'll probably be scared and then we'll go out to dinner so I would never if I had thought that it wasn't going to end up well I would never have invited my 12 year old son to be in the epicenter of the worst day right. of our lives but and that always stood out to me because Sage and I wrote so much about how on some level we believe that our dad had not a conscious, like you said, but like a subconscious knowing that his time was coming to an end. And I have thought about that because of you saying in, in your, well, I read the manuscript, but in your book <laughs> about how you had some subconscious knowing before you consciously knew that he had... Well and so did so did jesse had a lot of subconscious knowings or maybe it right. was more conscious for him because i think children I'm, are just more I in tune bumps all over my arms i mean right around the corner from where i'm sitting is his chalkboard message of nurturing healing love that and then you know right leaving this message for his brother having Incredible. a lot of fun and and folding it up and putting it on his desk my my saying a prayer to Jesus every night. Thank you for giving me this precious gift. Please don't take him from me. It's like, oh, right. That was the other thing was that, okay. So you wrote about how you would regularly say, please don't take him from me. Yeah. Even from the moment he was born. So my friend that I talked about earlier, Stephanie, she, after she read my book, she was so concerned that on some level she manifested her son's oh. murder because Every night she said, please, God, let me have more time with him. Please, God, let me have him. And I said to her, she absolutely did not manifest this. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's possible that she and her son and you and Jesse and JT signed up before you incarnated to experience this, not that you asked for it or attracted it. Is it possible that you signed up to experience it together? I don't know. How do you feel about that question? I mean, I, mean, I, I know I feel so nervous I, asking that. Well, no, I have heard of, of sacred contracts and, uh, and you know, the, the bottom line is I don't know, but I do know that. And I say, I had a spiritual awareness that Jesse was not going to be with me for very much longer. I just had a completely different feeling about Jesse than I did about JT. I love them both the same, but I, right. and I did not say that prayer though with JT, I did with Jesse. So I, my spirit knew, my spirit knew, Jesse's spirit knew a hundred percent. He wrote that nurturing, healing love. That was, that was marching orders for me. And, and you know that I, I think that because, because this is all I've been doing for the past eight and a half years, every day, all day long. And guess what? I get up every morning and I say, thank you. Thank you for this incredible mission. It's a, it's a huge part of my healing, but it has transformed and saved lives all over the world. And just thank you for using me as an instrument of your peace. Right. That's incredible. You know, yeah. they say the wound is where the light shines in. 
but not everybody is able to do that, especially when they lose a child. So I think it's just so amazing that you have allowed the light not only to shine in for yourself, but now to shine for so many people. I mean, I know how many people you've helped. You're, I haven't lost a child and I, I have two little boys and I can't even imagine, but it's an inspiring story for me nonetheless. I mean, for everybody. It's crazy that you you guys were talking about text messages and um, that, you know, I think sometimes when we are just like writing something quickly, it can be our subconscious speaking through us. And I remember my dad's last text messages to me yeah. at the time that uh, it was me and my sister Sky had been in Australia with him traveling. He was on a book tour. And um, when he sent that, so he left the night before we did to go back home when we were going to the East Coast, he was going to Hawaii. So we were on different flights. He sent a text to me in Sky, and I don't have it in front of me, but it said something along the lines of, I'm looking forward to some rest from this long eviction. And then he said, phase one is now complete. And it was mixed in with other things in there too, like how much he loved us and he was proud of us. But those two lines, at the time I read it and I thought dad's just being kind of weird right now, which I was used to. I mean, he often sent, you know, things that were over my head or, but he died like, 48 hours later and I reflected back on those texts and I thought oh my god he he knew a part of him knew he didn't know consciously you know he had plans for the next day and the next week and on and on and on but looking forward to this to rest from this long eviction it's like he meant his a long eviction from from god from his true home he had been, um, his condo in Maui was under renovation, like the whole building. So he wasn't going to be able to go home to his condo when he went back to Hawaii, he was going to stay in a hotel. But um, so I think my, my conscious understanding of that message was that he was saying, I'm looking forward to some rest from this long eviction from my home. But then when you think about it, he wasn't actually going back to his home, he was going to a hotel. So it just doesn't make sense. And he said, phase one is now complete. Thanks for listening to the Choose Love podcast. Our positive, empowering messaging is reaching millions of people all over the planet. You could be part of the solution, too. We have sponsorship opportunities available that help support us and enable you to share in helping create a safer, more peaceful, and loving world. Contact me on our website, chooselovemovement.org. I thought he meant he had like two big book tours that fall. One was what we were doing in Australia and New Zealand the next one was going to be in Europe and um, I just assumed he meant phase one of these book tours but then I was speaking to his D you know D his good yeah. friend and assistant yeah. and she was telling me how they had just had this conversation where he was referring to phase one as you know here on this earth and phase two the next phase as you know where we go after this um, wow. our true home and wow. so she told me that. And I said, look at these text messages. He said, phase one is now complete. And he left his physical body less than 48 hours later. Wow. And, and there was another thing that happened too with um, his tuition, I, I, or my tuition that I could, I'll just tell it briefly. Um, Cause we just know, Serena has an example too. We just know he had a knowing on some level. And I think it's really important to understand that, you know, our souls leave on time. And when you can know that you can have more peace with it another way that we knew that he knew his time was coming was he was paying my tuition for graduate school. I'm fortunate to have, you know, parents who could pay for all of their kids to go to as much school as they wanted to. 
he had a system for all of us from Tracy, our oldest sister, down to me, the youngest, all eight kids, uh, eight, how, he, yeah. all of how he paid his uh, our tuition. And he would, what he did was each semester at the beginning of the semester, he would send us a check. And the, the, the check was to cover not only our tuition, but our living expenses for that whole semester. And uh, he told, you know, he wanted to teach us about budgeting. And even though he was paying for it, he felt like it was important for us to learn to budget the money and make it last. So I was in my first year of grad school. It was January of 2015. He gave me a check. I was with him in Maui. He gave me a check for that semester. And he said, okay, make it last. And that was that. About a week later, he called me and he said, I just want you to know that I just mailed a check for your remaining four semesters at NYU. I live in New York City. I went to NYU. It's an expensive school. It's an expensive city. I want you to deposit the check and make sure you make it last. I was shocked by what he was telling me. I was like, dad, you're crazy. That's so much money. I don't even feel comfortable accepting that much money. Let's just keep doing it the way we've always done it. Just send me the checks at the beginning of each semester. I'll, you know, I'll budget it that way. And he said, Sage, I insist deposit that check and make sure you make it last. I trust you with the money. Um, I pushed him on it and I pushed him and he said, I insist on it. So finally I said, okay, I'll deposit the check when I get it, but can you tell me why? And he said, if anything were to happen to me, I want to make sure I fulfill my promise to you that I would put you through graduate school. And I heard him say that and I got upset. I'm like, why are you even talking like this? Nothing's gonna happen to you, you know? But he insisted and I did it. I, I opened a separate checking account just to make sure I didn't think I had all this money that needed to last actually like two and a half years. And uh, he left his body, his physical body, eight months later. I mean, he knew. And if he had not given me that money, I probably wouldn't have been able to finish grad school. I would have had to take out loans, which is not that that's such a terrible thing, but it's something he didn't want his kids to have to do. He said, I've made enough money in this lifetime to put all of my kids through school. And uh, on some level, he knew that he wouldn't have put me through school. His, his youngest child, he wouldn't have fulfilled that promise. So he did it while he was still alive. And you know, he used to say, we are spirits having a human experience, not the other way around. Right. And, and so that spiritual awareness, which, you know, is that what you're talking about when you're saying the knowing, because you, you talk about the five senses, but this is the sixth sense. Right. And I believe that a lot of us are really disconnected from it. I know I was disconnected from it before Jesse's murder because of fear Yes, you know, and everything that that uh, frustration, anxiety, bills, uh, how was as a single mom, was I going to raise my kids and how was I going to take care of this farm and like all of these thoughts going through my head, you cannot be connected on that sixth sense level, listening mm -hmm. to your inner guidance when you have all of that fear going on in your head. Yeah, because I mean, our dad used to say all the time that God's one and only voice is silence. And it's the silence between the notes that makes the music. When you are full of, which we all are guilty of, and we're all moms and we all have been there and I'm still there. And Sage has a newborn and, you know, we have a little kids that consume our minds um, with just the constant day to day. But when you take that time to just allow 
for the silence, even if it's, there was a, a famous quote and I, I don't remember who said it, but somebody said, somebody famous once said that um, man's greatest problem is his and her inability to sit silently in a room by themselves. Mm. And I thought about that because that's another way of saying, just allow silence, just allow yourself to be. Sometimes it's just turning the radio off in the car just to allow space, space for that, what you described, the place that's not fear, the place that is the sixth sense, the place that is the knowing to speak to you. And when your mind is so full of racing thoughts, it's really hard to hear that voice of God, that voice of your inner self, um, because it gets lost in that noise. But the sixth sense, like you said, it is the knowing. It's something that we all have. Jesse obviously showed it. I mean, he had, he had a knowing, not just of that he, he was going to leave the earth soon, but that he wanted to leave notes for, for his brother and his mother. I mean, that is a knowing. And he was a child. Was I mean, he was six sm- years old, small right? child, learning to write for the yes. first time. I mean, right. And I have a six-year-old and my six-year-old could not write that sentence that, um, that you showed have a lot of fun. I just feel like so strongly. And I, and I know from your book that you probably agree that his soul was just living and operating from a level that was just so connected to God that his sixth sense, his knowing was so present in his living. Um, and he left those signs for you and JT and everyone else and saved how many children's lives in the process? Nine. Wow. Yeah. That, that makes me want to cry. I mean, I know he's he, a hero. He, he, he is a hero. He, he was absolutely incredibly courageous. And by the way, I think about that courage every single day because it's the same courage that we all have to show up it with our, our best authentic selves, you know, to put the best foot forward, even when we don't feel like it, you know, that's courage. That's everyday courage. Hopefully we won't be subjected to anything like Jesse was, but, but that's the courage. It's, it's just to be our best self and to choose love when there's so much anxiety and unkindness in the world to, to be that model of love ourselves. And, but I mean, there's absolutely no question why he chose you to be his mom this lifetime, because I mean, look at what you're doing. And I really mean this. I have looked forward to this interview with you for so long because I took so much from your book, (laughs) as you can tell, but the courage, I mean, look at the courage that you have shown and that you have taken on this this legacy this idea of sending love even in response to evil to hate to just the most awful of awful i mean he is you and and you are him and that is so clear to me why he chose you because you're you're doing exactly what he lived and died doing spreading love you know, I was able to do it after his murder, but I, I see, I look back in my life and I see how I was cultivated up to the point where I could in, in every step of the way. Cause I made 
every mistake you could possibly <laughs> imagine. You know what I mean? And, and even going to work that day, I was talking to one of my best friends and I was complaining and, and, you know, swearing about stuff. And first of all, Jesse really did inspire me with his courage. It's like, you know, incredible. If he can do that, I certainly can take my personal power back through how I choose to respond to this. I have to model for my 12 year old son. Um, I mean, you think about when you lose a child, you think about, wow, would it be better just to die? Cause you feel so bad. And then I thought I can't do that because I have a 12 year old son. I have to model for him how right. to get through this. But then also I knew, you know, what happened to Jesse at Sandy hook that, and then I saw, and I took a step back and I watched how people responded. And I mean, there was so much blame and finger pointing. No one took responsibility for any of the mistakes that were made. And I thought, you know, you know, there were clearly mistakes made. This was preventable, starting with nurturing, healing, love, the message on the chalkboard. You just think like if, if the shooter had had the skills and tools to give and receive nurturing, healing, love, the tragedy right. would never have happened. It's so simple, but you have to know that you have the choice. And then, you know, how, you have to know how to make that choice. We don't normally teach that in schools and parents don't necessarily have that, that knowledge. I didn't, um, before Jesse's murder. So anyway, it is I, it just is, the fact that, that you, can see this person who did such an evil act and you can humanize him in a time where he was, I mean, he is the villain, just shows what an enlightened person that you are. I mean, you, instead of being a hostage to your circumstances, you've become a host to miracles and you're spreading that light for other people. And I think it's just, I'm just sitting here in awe listening to you speak because you're living every parent's worst nightmare and you're doing it with grace and you're teaching other people. After my dad died, even though it was one of the most tragic times in my life or the most tragic time in my life, I've never longed for somebody in that way. I also felt like it was one of the most loving and compassionate times in my life um, mm -hmm. where I felt so compassionate towards other people because I understood a new level of suffering that before was just an idea. And now it was something that I was experiencing and I could just have compassion for other people that I didn't understand before. And so much was born of that grief. Our book and this conversation that we're having right now was born of that grief. And of course I would take my dad back if I could. I would love to have a conversation with him right now in person. And But I can be also at the same time, so grateful for the experience and the growth. I think that when you lose a child that to get to that place has got to be a long, so much of a longer and tougher and more challenging road, but you have obviously gotten there. And because of that, you're helping so many people. And I think it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, and just to touch on what Sage was saying, you, you don't, you did not know when you wrote your manuscript and neither did I, and neither did my dad, how much you were going to help me after he had helped you. And here we are. And I honest to God think that this is this conversation, your book, your experience, your mission, 
is such proof that you cannot control what happens to you in life. You can choose to believe that your soul signed up for it for growth or not or whatever. You can't control what happens to you in life, but you can choose, as you always say, how you respond. You can replace a thought as, you know, as Jesse's mission and your mission, you can replace a thought of hate with a thought of love. And I had to do that, um, not towards somebody else, right? You had to do that in a way that is unfathomable to me. I had to do that for myself because I felt so much guilt over the times I had been mean, the times I had been uh, picking a fight, the times I had picked on Mason, the times I had hoped that he got in trouble so that I could have my husband, his father to myself. I just think that what you have done in your lifetime and in your process of um, choosing love and teaching others that no matter what, they also can choose love. I think you are doing the work of God in a way that you don't realize. I mean, that's so much. Thank you, Serena. That's so beautiful. And I, I just want to validate one thing that you said, you know, really for me, and we're talking about forgiveness now, it was easier to forgive Adam Lanza than it was to forgive myself. Oh. And, you know, you, and yeah, oh, that makes me want to cry. I, guess I, know, I know what you mean. Because I knew Adam's life. And I knew the pain and suffering that he had been facing his whole life. And I felt compassion for him. Isn't that interesting? It's I just really, a sign of who you are. Well, but it was harder to forgive myself. Why? Because, because no one's perfect. And as much as I love Jesse, as much as my spirit had this feeling right. that I wasn't going to have him for very much longer. So we were, oh, we were glued together all the time. It doesn't mean that I didn't make mistakes as a parent. Right. And, you know, I would, we had a lot going on in our lives and, and I gave frequent time outs and, and I, you know, there's like this one time I had bought him a whole bunch of new clothes for fall and he, uh, I, I think I bought him in the beginning of the summer. And then, you know, so we had the whole summer, then fall. And I, you know, I'm running around, I'm a single mom trying to get ready for work. And I'm like, Jesse, go get your clothes on. And he comes down and he has these pants. They won't button. And, <laughs> uh, because he outgrown them and right. it made me furious. Right. And I was like, Oh my God, well then just yeah. go back up there and get, you know, like I was right. yelling at him because he had, yeah. And it's the same thing. I, I right. felt the guilt. Was I, right. For, I yeah. put him in a timeout one night and it was for an hour. And I went in to check on him and he had fallen asleep. And I was like, I'm just letting him sleep. And I felt guilt. I felt like my mind would pull me to those places. Right. Right. And I would feel I, I can't live there. You know what I mean? Like I had to forgive myself mm -hmm. because right. You can't live there. And that's what forgiveness is for. It's for cutting that cord that attaches you to pain. And, and, uh, and so I just want to validate what you say there and know that I've, but it's so incredible because I really honestly believe. And I think because, you know, Sage and I were raised by such spiritual parents that yeah. we, we were encouraged from a very, from birth, actually, from the time we we could 
be taught anything. We were taught that we had to take responsibility for everything that shows up in our lives, whether we caused it or not. The only way to free ourselves from it was to take responsibility for it. Therefore, gaining freedom. Yes. Taking the power so that you can make the change. I love that. Yes. You're not a right. Big right. Exactly. So that's been a lesson that we were, ra- I mean, that's a principle that we were raised on in this like spiritual household, mm-hmm. but the compassion element, I think that that is the principle of growing up in a spiritual household of applying the spiritual principles is that just taking responsibility for what shows up in your life and just offering, you know, love and compassion outwardly but the fact that you actually did it let me just say this I don't think that my dad could have done it I think he could have written about it and I think he would have talked a great deal about it I don't even know if he could have done it if something happened to his son to our brother um yeah I mean I see these words behind you courage gratitude forgiveness compassion and um, we're talking so much about forgiveness and our dad did have, I mean, it was a different kind of forgiveness, but he had an incredible story of forgiveness that if you read in the book, it came to have a lot of meaning for us. When our dad died, I found myself sort of at a place of, you know, I grew up with all these spiritual teachings and I had, I had just been with my dad for three weeks, hearing hours and hours and hours of his mm. lectures. Mm. So much of it was about death and and you know how it is like you said just he's just in the other room um it's just a shedding of the physical and one of the things that stuck with me so much was when he talked about how we come here with a round trip ticket and so and we we celebrate the first leg of that trip the arrival the birth date for our whole lives we continue to celebrate it it's no one questions it it's this beautiful arrival um but then our the day comes when our return ticket is is due. We spend so much of our lives fearing that day for ourselves, for our loved ones. It's not celebrated. In fact, it's feared. It's it's considered this day of dread. Everyone apologizes to you. Still, I get so many apologize, apologies from friends and loved ones on the 30th. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but just shows our culture and society, how we view death. And uh, my dad was just saying, we come here with the round trip ticket. We all do. Let's try to, in some way, embrace that return ticket. I was hearing him talk all about this stuff, but then came the day that he died. And I found myself sort of questioning, can I apply everything he taught me his whole life and view this as like a new opportunity to get to know him in a different way and know that he's still with me? Or is he really just gone? And, um, you know, I was having both both sides of that coin. I was thinking all the never agains, all the fear-based thoughts, all the should haves, all the could haves. But I was also aware that I had this, such a strong base in, in his teachings. And anyway, I, I started to become open to the fact that my dad was still there with me. And I started to look for him in different ways. And I, and I said, our, our dad was so into numbers. If you remember synchronicity through numbers and he had a whole thing with the number 18 and he loved seeing the clock at 11 11 and things like that so I thought okay if there's really meaning in the day that you chose to to leave this earth and if it's all in divine perfect timing then you would have chosen a date that had meaning you wouldn't have just left on any random day so I kind of was in search of finding the meaning of that date. And I couldn't figure it out at first. It didn't add up to anything. It wasn't the 18th. It wasn't the 11th, you know, nothing like that. And um, then I started reading his book. I can see clearly now where he 
Bright's all about his experience with his own father, which just to give a quick uh, brief synopsis of it, it was basically uh, my dad's father, our grandfather, walked out on his family when my dad was just a baby, brought home from the hospital. And he had two older brothers. Uh, my dad had two older brothers and their father left them with um, our grandmother uh, his mother uh, to fend for themselves. This was in the 1940s. They did not have very much money at all. And um, our grandmother was forced to put them into, to put her sons, our dad, into an orphanage and into foster care. And um, their father continued to live not too far away and have other kids and other families. And um, he was an alcoholic. And anyway, our dad spent majority of his adolescence looking for this man and hating this man and um, having nightmares about him and just full of rage and hate for this man who was his father who left them. And um, he said he just wanted to meet him and ask him, did you, did you ever think about your son, Wayne? Did you even think about me? Did you ever just wonder how I was or, and, and your other two sons? And just filled with a lot of negative uh, feelings towards his father at and one point he said he had um nightmares of fist fighting him yeah he like would have almost nightmares nightly where he was like violent he was yeah punching his father so sorry you're just and and so eventually he learned that his father had actually died a couple years before and he had been dead for a couple years and he was just learning it then and um but learning that he died didn't heal anything for him he still had this rage he still wanted to have this conversation with this man that now would never happen fast forward to he's in his 30s and um he discovers where his father's gravesite was and he by you know a series of really um, incredible coincidences incredible. he finds himself no there can't be can't yeah be well God what are he said about coincidences yeah. that yeah. you know there's no such thing it's uh it's two things that happen perfectly yeah. and um he so he finds himself at the gravesite. If you want to hear the coincidences they're in, I can see clearly now. I think I, I won't get them all right, so I don't want to say them. Yeah. But um, he finds himself at his father's gravesite, and he goes there with the intention of literally pissing on his grave, of screaming at him, of getting all of this anger out that has built up inside of him for thirty plus years. And um, and and at first, that's exactly what he does. He stands there and he screams at him and he has this conversation he's been needing to have. And then he goes to walk away. And that was that. And he uh, was walking back to his car and he describes it as just, and all of a sudden something came over him and he was called to go back. So he stopped and he listened to that voice. I mean, it's, he listened to his knowing, you know, something, his sixth sense, what we were talking about before. And he turned around and he went back to his father's grave and he felt an overwhelming presence and feeling of love. And he, uh, he, he said out loud to his father, I, from this moment on, I forgive you and I send you nothing but love. Mm. And it came out of nowhere. He didn't have the intention of doing that when he went there, but just he felt a presence and he he honored it. And for the first time in his life, he forgave his father. He truly forgave him because I think we can try to forgive, but if you're not actually energetically aligned with the forgiveness, it's it's not powerful. It's not going to be meaningful the way that when you truly understand the forgiveness you're giving. Anyway, um, he did that. He forgave his father. He left that gravesite a hundred pounds lighter, and his whole life changed from from that 
from that event, from those series of events, his career took off, his, uh, he got out of a relationship that he wasn't happy and he got into a, a better, you know, a relationship that fulfilled him. It's how Serena and I and a bunch of our siblings ended up here, you know. He wrote Your Erroneous Zones, his best-selling book, the best-selling book of the whole 1970s. Um, Within two and, weeks of that yeah, In a two-week period. It's just his whole life, his, he became lighter. He became able to tune into, you know, uh, his passions, what he came here to do, his teachings. He left a job. Anyway. He took um, back control of his life that he yeah. had given away in anger. Through the fear and the hatred. Right. Exactly. And anyway... I'm reading this story. I've heard it a million times before, but I'm reading it and I can see clearly now uh, again. And I see where he says, now, if I were to tell you what the, if I were, if you were to ask me, what was the most significant day of my life? I would answer with the events that took place at my father's gravesite on August 30th, 19, I think 74, uh, because his whole life changed from that point forward. And I read that and I immediately texted my whole family and said, the day that dad forgave his dad was August 30th, the same day that he died, that he left his physical body. And what I took that to mean and what we all took it to mean is, you know, at first for me, August 30th marked the end of my relationship with my father. When I realized that for my dad in his life, it marked it didn't mark the end of his relationship with his father. It, it marked the day that his relationship with his father changed to take on an entirely new meaning, one surrounded in love um, that, that changed his life for the better. I realized that what he was telling us was that this is now the day that your relationship with your father changes to take on a whole new meaning, not the day that it dies, not the day that it ends, and I, once I really began to understand that and live with that knowing and that knowledge, it just changed everything for me. And, and our book, it, it came from that place, that that was one of those early miracles. And I just think so much of what we've talked about is how Jesse had a knowing that his time was coming. You had a knowing that your time with your son was limited. Our dad had a knowing that his time was limited and he arranged to die on a day that could have so much meaning you know that for us to sit here and question that death is an accident when you can look at all these incredible examples of how it's on purpose um it can just you know it 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 is it's in divine timing no matter how much it hurts and on and on i think that um i always try to remind myself of that it was perfect divine timing Perfect divine timing. The relationship doesn't go away. You both know that it continues now just in a different form, not the form we would choose, but but in a different form and it deepens from there. And the thing that I love is that we have proof. Not everybody has proof that that relationship continues, but like I've had so many signs from Jesse. And I have to tell you, when I saw the picture of the water after your (laughs) paddleboard ceremony, your dad's face right there. I mean, that, you know, that's, that was absolutely amazing. And you've had, you've had other, you know, but not everybody, you were saying that you, we've had proof yeah, and that not everybody has, I would say, I would challenge that statement because I would say not everyone is open to proof in the way it comes. 
Ah. Not the way we are attached um, or think it ought to, right? Okay. We think okay. it, sometimes we think a sign should come in the form of the song that we want to hear at this time on this date. And or flickering want, lights right now right. when I ask for it, you know, things like that. And just like, just like you were saying with the picture at the paddle out, we were out there saying like, like we were kind of like, what the hell dad? Like, why are there no where's dolphins? The turtles? <laughs> yeah, where are the tur- where's the rainbows? At least in Hawaii, there's a rainbow every day. We were right. like, there's not even a rainbow. And you, and we were kind of, I, that's right. You paddled back and you were like, no signs, no signs. And my husband stayed on the shore with our daughter. Cause she was too little to go on a surfboard. And he was just sending me the photos that he had taken while we were on the paddle out. And it wasn't until we were in the car leaving that I was scrolling through them. And I just went, Oh my God. And everybody was like, what, what? <laughs> and that's when we saw it. So it's like, it would have been easy for you to have an idea that Jesse was going to come to you in the form of this. And it would have been easy for us to believe that if our dad was going to give a sign, it was going to come in the form of this. When we decide how we want it to come, when we want it to come. Um, and I think a lot of people have an attachment to the package, to the how, to the when, to the where. Well, that, and also a lot of people just aren't open to it. They, they grieve their loved one, you grieve your loved ones and you think that that's it. I have a friend who just read our book. She's a good friend of mine. She just got married. I couldn't go because we have a newborn and it, her wedding was in California, but she read um, our book and she called me after her wedding and said, her dad passed away when she was 16. And she said, I never thought to look for signs. I never thought to look for him. Mm -hmm. I would, you know, I would think of him all the time, but I never thought that he could still be with me. And she said, since I read your book, I have encountered a monarch butterfly every single day. Mm. And she said, I thought the real test was going to be at my wedding. Am I going to have, you know, is he going to show up at my wedding? And she said, she said, I swear to God, I walked down the aisle and a monarch butterfly trailed me the entire way. Her dad passed away over 15 years ago and she just wasn't looking for the signs. And I'm sure he's been with her every single day of those 15 years, but now she knows it, you know? I think it's, it's, it's not being attached to the way that our loved ones can show up for us. And it's also being open to the idea that they can show up right. for us. Yeah, right, your that, book opened yeah. her heart, which opened right. her mind. And you guys say in your book, you'll see it when you believe it. Right. And it's usually you'll believe it when you see it. Right. right. And uh, yeah, so you have to have an open heart, I guess. And I, I know I know there's so many people that come to me and say, oh, you had so many signs from Jesse. I wish that, you know, I, I never had a sign. But, but you're right. It's open to, you know, you think, oh, it's going to be pennies. It's going to be rainbows. It's going to be unicorns, right. but it could be something else. Right. It could be anything. And the fact that you've had so many signs from Jesse to me is not just because of who Jesse is, but also because of who you are, because you have been open to it. And right. I, I think that that is just so clear for so many people that have been looking for signs or wanting signs. Are you really open to it? I mean, really? That's a good point. And that reminds me, um, Sage, of when you were laying on the beach in Hawaii and you're looking up and you're saying, uh, well, do you want to tell the story? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, after our dad passed away about 
a week later, we all headed out to Maui. That's where the paddle out took place, where we saw the face in the water, all of that, because that's where he was when he died. And we all just felt like we needed to be there um, to connect with him and to also just, you know, things that have to happen after somebody dies. Um, so I live in New York. You can never see stars in New York. It doesn't matter. Uh, unless there was like a citywide blackout, you could not see the stars. So I never really consciously noticed that before. But when, I, when we got to Maui, it was late and um, it was dark out and we were driving back to our, well, we were staying at a hotel because the condo was still under those renovations. And uh, I just noticed how beautiful the stars were. And it just took me, my dad loved um, the, all the talks he gave in Australia. He started with a video that just went through the galaxies showing just to give you the idea of how small your problems are, how much we don't know, you know, to open your mind to being, you know, there's so much out there. We don't know, like the five senses, you know, we perceive our whole world with these five senses that we know are limited, extremely limited. And we believe that we know everything because of these. So anyway, I'm looking at these stars and I'm just admiring how beautiful they are. And I'm thinking about my dad and that was that. And the next day um, we woke up and we decided to go down to the beach and I'm, I went for a swim in the water where my dad did his swim, you know, almost every day of his life. And I got out and I laid down on the beach in the sand and I opened my eyes and I looked up at the sky and I just, I thought about how last night I was looking at all these beautiful stars and I'm thinking, oh, I can't see them right now, obviously, because the sun's out, you know, and it's, it's daylight. And then I thought, but I know they're still there, you know? And, um, and then I felt like I heard my dad say, that's exactly how I am now. You know, you can't see me with your eyes but you know, I'm still here. You have to know that I'm still here the same way with the same conviction that you know those stars are still there just because you can't see them. And I started to cry and I thought, you know, how true. I have to just know because it'll kill me if I don't just know that. It'll, it'll eat away at me. I'll stay stuck. Um, and our dad always used to say, you're only stuck if, you're, if you choose to be. So choosing thoughts like that gets you unstuck and uh, yeah. it was just a it was a poignant moment for me in those early days of grief so beautiful I just wanted to say that Serena you co-wrote <laughs> a book with your dad don't die with your music still in you yes. an amazing book about finding and living your purpose to its fullest and uh, I love that book. I encourage everybody to go out and get that. And then Sage, you authored a children's book called Goodbye Bumps, a book about self-healing. And we were saying before, I have uh, my one of my director, um, professional development, her daughter had warts on her hands yeah. and she was talking to them. They went away. And my mom is a huge fan. We talk about <laughs> this book all the time because she was supposed to have um, surgery on her knee and, uh, and a whole bunch of host of other things. She just talks to her body knees. I love you. And if she's sitting down, she'll be rubbing her knees, sending love to her knees or her shoulders or her elbow, whatever hurts on that day. Right. And our dad used to say all the time that uh, the knee was one of the easiest things to heal. And I don't know if he was just saying that because my brother at one point tore his ACL and I don't know if our dad was saying that it's an easy place to heal so that Sands would hear it and believe it. Right. But regardless, it oh, worked. Our, because yeah. Our dad was bone on bone. I think he wrote about it in Spiritual, Spiritual Solution, Solution, Every Problem. Yeah. Because yeah, it, it happened when we were in um, 
Machu Picchu. And anyway, it's a crazy story. Yeah. You should look it up. How to get that book. <laughs> Show it to your mom. Yeah. So I just want to, uh, to ask you as a closing question, like so much going on now in our world, um, so much going on that we would never have chosen. Uh, lots of bitterness and controversy and di divisiveness. I wonder what you think or how you think your dad would be responding to, to all of this and what he would be telling us. I know that's a loaded question, but <laughs> can, I, so, can I answer first? Yeah, yeah go ahead. Yeah. Um, there was a time when my dad told me a story about how he was walking down the beach in Fort Lauderdale and a couple came up to him and said, what is it like living in Fort Lauderdale? Cause we're thinking of moving here. And he said, well, where are you from? And they said, well, we're from New Jersey. And he said, well, what is it like there? And they said, well, the people are awful. And you know, it's just like crowded and so much traffic and so much noise. And yeah, we just, we can't wait to get away. And he said, well, that's exactly what it's like here. And of course, as the story goes, he was later walking down the beach and another couple came up and said, Hey, we're thinking about moving here. What is Fort Lauderdale like? And he said, well, what is it like where you're from? And they said, well, we're from New Jersey. Um, and he said, well, what is it like in New Jersey? And they said, well, you know, it's just lovely. I mean, we don't want to leave, but we want the warmer weather and the people up there are wonderful. And, um, we love it. And uh, we always plan to go back, but we want warmer weather. And so, you know, we'll be sad to go, but we're kind of looking forward to this. But yeah, New Jersey is incredible and we love it so much. And he said, oh, that's exactly what it's like here. And so to answer your question, I think that he would say it's not divisive. It's not in turmoil. It's not uh, in uproar or war. There's no conflict unless you choose to participate. Ooh. But, uh, you know, as, as Mother Teresa is famous for saying, if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. Yes, I think that he would say, um, if you don't want to participate, if you don't want to perpetuate conflict, um, uproar, divisiveness, don't participate. And you stop participating by stopping contemplating it, which I know sounds like fluff. It sounds like, oh, choose happy thoughts, but it's actually more about putting your attention on what it is that you want and like and love as opposed to what it is that you don't like, don't want, or don't love. Because as he was you know, known to say, you get what you think about whether you like it or not. So choose your thoughts wisely. Ooh, that is fantastic. That is really good. That just came to <laughs> yeah. me. So I know it was, Sorry. I know it was Sorry. Sorry. jumping in. I totally <laughs> right. know that. I totally know that. What were you going to yeah. say, Sage? That was amazing. No, I was going to say she hit the nail on the head. I don't think I can, <laughs> I can top that one, but I, I agree. I, I mean, I know for me, my personal experience in this time has been, there has been a lot of unwanted change and things like that. But I mean, when I really think about it, it's actually been an incredible time for my family. My husband has been able to work a lot less to the point where we decided to have another baby because it was actually a good time for us. We own a restaurant. And at first that was uh, the worst kind of business to be in, but in the city, you know, a restaurant in the city, in a restaurant in New York right. city. Um, but through different laws and different government assistance programs, we're, we're doing really well. Now we have all this outside seating that we didn't have before. So on nights when we used to have to turn people away, we can do more business now. 
so in a lot of ways, it has been a time for us to be grateful for. And I'm not, I know for so many people, it has been a terrible time. So um, people have lost people that they love and things like that. But I think if we all contemplate it, we could find a silver lining, you know, and to just, like Serena said, choose to focus on those, on those parts of it, because what choice do you have? You know, what's the alternative? Yeah, totally agreed. And, and it's kind of like what, uh, what Wayne would tell your babysitter, which blew me away because yeah. it's the basis of, of everything that we do in the choose love movement, yeah. um, he would, you know, you give babysitters directions. He would say to her only teach only love, teach yeah. only love. She, and she told that. that. I didn't know that she told yeah. that story at his uh, celebration of life that we had. And she flew down. I never knew that we were just kids when uh, I wasn't even born. When yeah, they I was like her. one and a half when yeah, Kelly and she, and, she and she started, we never knew. It stuck with me so much that, yeah. that the only rule that most parents are the schedules and the, you know, do this, this is how you punish. This is how you, you know, but his, all he said to her was, I have one rule, teach only love. And as long as you're coming from love, I will be happy with the way you are watching our children. And um, I try to embody that with my own children. And it's not always easy. And I can, you know, you said before you gave timeouts and you regret it. I think about that at the end of the day all the time. Like, oh, why did I do that? He's only two. You know, I raised my voice. He's a baby. But we all do it. Um, but I try to remember to teach only love as much as I can really, really beautiful. I have a great book for you guys. It's called Nurtured Heart Approach by Howard Glasser. Um, It's the way that I learned to parent JT. And I think that that would be really enriching. I wish that I had learned that I'd read it before I had kids, but I, but I think you'll really love it. And it's, it's all about the way that it's all about teaching only love and thoughtfully responding to any situation with love, because that's really all that your kids want and need and any behavior is uh is is just communication nurtured heart approach by howard glasser and uh, so i would please tell your mother that i say hello and that i send her my love Okay. And she uh, is, uh, she's like you, she's the epitome and embodiment of just love. I mean, and I see that in you and I felt that in your book and I feel it now. And she is so much like you. And, um, I can say that I speak for Sage and I both, when we say that it's what we aspire to be, to be compassionate and forgiving for ourselves and yes. loving. Uh, well, thank you so much. And give your sister Tracy my love because she um, gave me this turquoise bag at one of the events. And I used to I used to send her pictures of the bag while I was traveling from all over the world because it was so awesome. It held up. And I have Tim Shriver holding it up at the White House and all this stuff. So please send her my love too. All yeah. right. Well, thank you so much for having us. Yeah, this was great. Wonderful. Hey, yeah, It's all part of us. We can all choose love. It'll lift you up if you let it in. Let the healing begin. Thanks for listening to the Choose Love podcast. Our positive, empowering messaging is reaching millions of people all over the planet. Join the worldwide movement to choose love. 
Our programming is in over 10,000 schools, homes, and communities across the country, in every state, and over 112 countries and counting. We're giving individuals of all ages the essential life skills they need to flourish. You can be part of the solution, too. We have sponsorship opportunities available that help support us and enable you to share in helping create a safer, more peaceful, and loving world. Contact me on our website, ChooseLoveMovement.org.